Hi, this is Violet Lang. Welcome to my podcast, The Pleasure Path, all about love, dating, relationships, and femininity. I help successful spiritual women find their pleasure and their power to create healthy partnership. Logan Yuri joins the show and shares many gems on how to date more effectively and with more humanity. Her recent book, How Not to Die Alone, is an Amazon bestseller, and she's also the director of relationship science at Hinge, which is my favorite dating app. This is an episode that you don't want to miss. Welcome, everyone, to a fabulous episode of The Pleasure Path. I could not be more excited for my guest today, Logan Yuri. She is amazing in every sort of way, and I can't wait to tell you about her and have her also share more with you. But just so you know, she is a behavioral scientist turned dating coach and the author of the book, How to Not Die Alone, which is fabulous. Highly, highly recommend. And she's also the director of relationship science on Hinge. And for those of you who are listeners, you know that that is my favorite app. I recommend it to all of my clients and pretty much everyone I meet. And she leads a research team there that is dedicated to helping people find love, which is what it's all about, right? She also studied psychology at Harvard, and she ran Google's behavioral science team called the Irrational Lab. She's been featured in New York Times, Atlantic Time, Washington Post, GQ, Glamour, Vice, HBO, the BBC. She's a big deal, basically, and she's really awesome and down to earth, too. So, Logan, I'm so glad that you're here. And do you want to share just a little bit more about yourself and how you got into all of this? Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. And I'm thrilled to be here. And I'm excited to talk to you about my work at Hinge, about the ideas for my book, about my career, if that's interesting to you. But yeah, overall, I really have these two areas of interest. I love thinking about people's brains, their psychology, how they make decisions. And then I love thinking about sex, dating, and relationships. And so it's really an honor in my life that I get to combine the two in my coaching, in my work at Hinge, in my book. And I really try to help people get out of their own way so that they can find love. Mm, So well said and so needed in the world. And I'm curious, did you find yourself in college, like getting, being, being the one that your friends would ask advice of, or did you just notice like, wow, I'm surprised that that person is dating the same sort of person again and again, even though it's a different person, same pattern or like, how did you know that you were so excited about love and relationships and sexuality? Yeah, there's a few threads that I can pull on. So one is that my parents had this, um, what seemed like a very happy marriage and we had kind of a picturesque family. And then my parents ended up getting divorced when I was a junior in high school, which to me felt out of nowhere. And not that it was out of nowhere, but that I just didn't have all the context. And so I think that experience really helped me understand that you can't take happily ever after for granted just because you've been in marriage for a long time. Doesn't mean that, um, the marriage is necessarily going well or that, um, it's the right relationship. And so that really gave me a lot of humility around the fact that relationships take work and that inspired me to understand, well, what is that work? And so if you can't take happily ever after for granted, what can you do to, put yourself in the best possible position to have a great relationship. And then I also have been so interested in psychology for a long time, starting with taking AP psych in high school. And then in college, I worked in a psych lab. I um, used to run, you know, different experiments in my sophomore year. I wrote a paper called porn to be wild, where I researched the porn watching habits of Harvard students. And really I've had these dueling interests for a long time. And 
when I started my career at Google, I was really focusing on the psychology thing and the behavioral science, but it's so fun now that I get to combine the two. And so when I look back, I really think it's about wanting to understand the dynamics of relationships and also being very curious about how our brains work and how people make decisions. Yes. And so many decisions leading up to getting married or, you know, choosing how to build a partnership. And can you tell us about those three dating types that you teach about in your book and and with your clients? Yeah. So in working as a dating coach, I had clients from all different walks of life. I had people in different parts of the country. And I noticed there's something that a lot of them seem to have in common and they seem to suffer from the same dating blind spots. And so these are patterns of behavior or ways of thinking that hold people back from finding love, but that they can't identify on their own. And I've organized them into something that I call the three dating tendencies. And so what each of them has in common is unrealistic expectations. And so the first one is the romanticizer. And this is the person who loves love. And the romanticizer has unrealistic expectations of relationships. They expect it to be instant chemistry. They expect to find their soulmate. They expect it to be effortless. And so what ends up happening is that the romanticizer sometimes isn't willing to put that effort into finding somebody because they are expecting that rom-com meet cute. Or when they're in a relationship and it hits that inevitable rough spot, they say, oh, must not be the right relationship. If this were my soulmate, it would just be easy. The second type is the maximizer, and they have unrealistic expectations of their partner. And so this is the person who says, I like my girlfriend, but could I be 5% happier with somebody else? Could I be with someone who's 10% hotter or 15% funnier, right? It's it, it sounds humorous, but they're always thinking, what else is out there? The grass is always greener. And they're always wondering, how could they do better? Instead of understanding that in many ways, a relationship is what you make of it, and you can build that great relationship. It's not just finding the perfect partner. And then finally, the third one is the hesitator. And the hesitator is somebody who has unrealistic expectations of themselves. And so they might feel like love is conditional and they're just not lovable yet. And they say, I'll be lovable. I'll be ready to date when I lose 10 pounds or when I have a more impressive job. And so they're always creating excuses why they're not ready to date yet. And the issue is that we know that dating is a skill and dating requires practice and dating is an exercise in figuring out what type of person you want to be with. And so by not dating, these people are missing out on the opportunity to figure those things out about themselves. Absolutely. And then there's time that's gone by where they could have been getting that great information about themselves and about a potential partner. And I loved all the really detailed tips that you gave in the chapter about the hesitators, because I think personally that can be hard to coach. I'm more of a romanticizer. So I'm like, uh-huh. what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course your person is out there. And, you know, side note, I don't even actually believe in like the one or soulmate right. or person. I think we can meet a lot of really fantastic people and then make an educated choice about who meets our values yeah. and our vision. And, you know, I think you, you see, feel the same way. Um, I'm wondering if you 
found in yourself, like any of these tendencies in, in yourself, or maybe you were able to circumvent them because you had already been doing a lot of this work. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Obviously, you know, you're a very smart person. You went to Harvard Business School. You worked as a consultant, but it's, and you also identify as a romanticizer. And I think that's an important thing. Sometimes people say, oh, are, are men more likely to be this or are smarter people more likely to be that? I think sort of what's kind of charming about this is that lots of people can be, can be the different types. And it, it's much more focused on um, how you see relationships, maybe the cultural stories that you adopted, your own experiences. And it's, it's lots of different types of people can be all three of these, can be each of these three. So I definitely identify as a maximizer um, in terms of wondering, okay, well, I like this relationship and these things are going well, but I wish these things were different. Or maybe you've had this experience where you're in a relationship and you're not married yet. And then you maybe spend a week with a friend or you get close with a colleague at work. And then you're like, oh, I wish my partner was this Frankenstein person where they had these qualities and that quality. And I definitely have experienced that before. And sometimes that's because I was in the wrong relationship. And that actually, while I was willing to compromise about certain things, there were certain elements of the relationship that I shouldn't have compromised on. Um, I think what's really beautiful about getting married or what can happen in a marriage is that you learn to accept your partner and you say, my partner has these strengths and these weaknesses and I am accepting them as a full package. I'm not expecting them to change. I'm if this person continues to be the way they are for the rest of our lives, like I'm, I'm willing to, to put up with that and I'm willing to see the good and the bad. And so I think that sometimes when people are dating and they're maximizers, they're constantly saying, should I stay or should I go? Is this good enough or not? Could I find someone else out there? But when you really make that commitment and you say, I'm going to get engaged this person and I'm going to make it work. I found that to be a very healthy and happy stage because then once you're committed, you really focus on um, making the best of that dynamic instead of saying like, could I be with somebody who's, you know, 5% this or 5% that. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. I love knowing that about you. And it's a great reminder for anyone listening who either finds that they are also a maximizer or maybe has noticed that in a friend or, or someone else. Um, and I think you mentioned this obviously in the book, but Online dating sometimes can reinforce the maximizer tendency and the romanticizer mm -hmm. too, I feel mm -hmm. like. Of like, oh, well, he looked like this in his picture in Machu Picchu, so he must be, you mm -hmm. know, whatever. Um, and we can we can create a lot of stories. And so you're obviously doing amazing work for Hinge and, and helping people find more love, which I think is so key about that app is it's really designed for relationship. And I feel it in the user interface mm -hmm. and I feel it in the type of prompts that people have and the way that you can interact. Um, so I just love that. But what do you feel, how do you feel about online dating and like, what are some of the cool things that, that you found in your research at Hinge that help people to use the apps in a more intentional way? Yeah. Um, I have definitely had a really great experience working at Hinge for the last year. And I, you might be interested in kind of hearing my how we met story with Hinge, which is that I did, I did use Hinge uh, back in the day when I was single, sort of before their big refresh in 2016, when they became more about the relationship app. And they, they basically started from scratch and said, we are going to be for people who are intentional and ready to get into relationships. Um, for me, when I was doing research for my book, I had the opportunity to interview Justin McLeod, the CEO of Google, of, sorry, <laughs> I'm thinking about Google, the CEO of 
Hinge. And I said to him, I was like, you know, your tagline is designed to be deleted. And how could that be, right? You spend all this time to attract new daters and new users. Why would you want to get rid of them? It doesn't make sense. And he said, ever since we've become the relationship app. Ever since we've had this tagline, more and more people meet through Hinge and they tell their friends and they are in the New York Times vows section and it's word of mouth. And it's so much more powerful to create an app that actually helps people get into relationships. And then they tell their friends about it versus focusing on keeping users around or, you know, thinking about how much time they spend on the app. And so I can, that experience with him really convinced me that Hinge was doing all the right things and Hinge really cared about empowering people. And the team that I help lead, this Hinge Labs team, is really very focused on this. It's what do we know about dating? What are the people who are finding success on Hinge doing? And how do we teach other people how to do that? And so it's it's really exciting for me because the dating coaching is fun and I help people one-on-one. And then the book has been great and I get emails from a lot of people. But if you really want to impact how millions of people are dating, it really works to to be in the environment in which they're actually meeting each other. And right now, um, that's the dating apps and specifically the one that I care about is Hinge. And so over the last year, dating during the pandemic, we've done some really fascinating research about the rise of video dating. We're empowering people to... um, go on virtual dates. We have a virtual date feature in the app. Uh, we recently released something where it's a, a a video date prompt set. So it's questions to ask each other in the date. That's really a great way to break the ice. Um, lots of people said they were open to get into relationships with someone they'd only met virtually. We've also done really interesting research on what makes a great profile, um, how to convert to a date. And so for me, that's what I want to be talking about all the time. It's what are the really tactical changes that somebody can make to go from maybe not dating at all or dating with very little success to actually getting the the results that they want from, from their dating lives. Yes, I am just nodding my face off for those of you that are just listening. I'm um, I'm so excited to hear all of that because I know in my work with my clients that it's so effective. I mean, I actually want to read you really quickly a text that I got from one of my clients last night who she was on a different app, which I won't name names, but I told mm-hmm. her to move to Hinge. <laughs> and so she opened her Hinge account, I think about a week ago, and they met, they, they matched or they connected or whatever, um, I think... Thursday of last week, they had a video date on Friday. And then last night, Sunday, they had an in-person date. And she said, it went very well, very nice to talk to, fun loving, decent and genuine, works close to my home, wants to see me again. Such a refreshing change. Didn't expect it to go this well. (laughs) Like so much good stuff. So positive, yay. Yes. And I think, you know, just one one interaction like that Mm helps people feel hope again and helps Mm -hmm. people feel more confident and helps them know that like, okay, you know, the dating apps can be challenging, but there's a pathway forward. And I love the video dating um, feature that you guys Mm -hmm. have put in because I think a video date, even after the pandemic is a really good idea. Like spend 20 minutes, spend 30 minutes and get to know someone that way and make sure that you feel there's enough of a connection, not spark, which we might talk about in a little bit. <laughs> exactly. Spark is overrated as Logan says. And, and I agree. Um, like a little less Disney, Disney fairy tale and a little more like, um, I don't know, Rocky or something like putting your, putting your reps in. Um, but what I was going to say is that I think that 
the way that people are using Hinge and the way that Hinge is designed, you know, to be used can create such a more solid foundation. And this may sound cheesy, but I always talk about in our society, like healthy relationships are a microcosm of a healthy society and healthy families. And it just like, I would love it if, if I didn't have a day, I didn't have a job as a dating coach. Like people just were able to Mm -hmm. use the app. I love that completely on their own and didn't need, you know, I would love if in a few years, they don't need someone like me, um, to, to help it, to kind of handhold them through the process. So let's actually talk about that a little bit. If you're open to it. Um, can you, can you explain for people who haven't read your book, why the spark is overrated? Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I'll say is I love that your client texted you all of those things because another, intervention that I have in the book. Another thing that I'm excited about is this idea of uh, five good things. And so I say to my clients and then I say in the book, and now I'm getting these emails, I say, it's so easy to find the negatives. It's so easy to say, he wore socks with sandals. He split the bill with me instead of treating me. Um, you know, he burped loudly and didn't say, excuse me, right? Okay. Our, our brains have this negativity bias. They're naturally going to find those things. And so the work is really using your imagination to see what's beautiful about this person, what's special about them. And so it might be the way that they light up when they talk about their family or their generosity in choosing a bar near you. And so I encourage my clients to to, to text or email me uh, five good things. And since the book came out, I've been getting these emails. And if anyone listening wants to do it, it's, you, it's the number five good things at gmail.com. And it's just been so fun to get emails from around the world of people saying, um, she was patient, she was kind, she was funny, and just really training people to focus on that muscle of gratitude, appreciation, and what I call imagination, instead of just saying, oh, here's all the reasons I'm going to write somebody off. So anyway, I love that you have that relationship with your client. Yes. I, let me just share one thing and then about that too. Um, and we can talk more about the spark. I feel like hinge and you are bringing humanity back to dating, you know, Aww. like finding the good in people. And that is, I think so important and for love and relationships, but it affects all the other parts of our, of our life too. So yeah, five good things at gmail.com. Everyone. Yeah, follow, that's great. Yeah, maybe that should be my tagline. But yeah, I love that point because, you know, sometimes I'll get into conversations with people on Reddit or strangers or whatever about, they're like, you're so anti-ghosting. Like, what's the big deal? I'm like, because it's mean and it's rude and it is ambiguous and you feel bad about yourself. And so it's exactly what you said, right? It's bringing the humanity back to dating. If you were face to face with somebody, you wouldn't just be like, oh, never see you again. I'm not going to say anything. You would say, hey, I'm not interested. Like, you know, best of luck. And so, yeah, like inserting that humanity, which for example, would be not ghosting back into dating is going to make the experience better for everyone. Yeah. And feel better than you're bringing that kind of clean karma into the next person mm-hmm. that you're dating. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier about like the Frankenstein of like matching the people for a maximizer. But I do personally think there is a bit of that like Goldilocks or Frankenstein element when you stay positive and, and think about what you're grateful for. Even if the person you went on a date with doesn't end up being a long-term partner, it's almost like you gather the good. And then all of a sudden you meet someone who has so many good mm-hmm. things that you've like crossed, crossed that threshold that you talk about where all the good things you've been noticing, at least in my experience with my clients, they start to almost condense into like one person or my story. My story is that you, as you focus more on my experiences too, as you focus more on what's working well, you look for that more on the apps and then you, the algorithms start working in that way. Like it's, it's an iterative process. I, mm-hmm. I believe the mindset yeah. makes you feel different. 
difference. Yeah, I love that. And I really like to say, you know, date like a scientist. And what date like a scientist means to me is a scientist doesn't say, um, I know exactly the chemical properties of the vaccine I need to create, or I know exactly what will happen when I combine these two things. They have a hypothesis, they run experiments, they are intellectually honest about the results, and they keep going trying different things until they get a meaningful result. And so what dating like a scientist might mean here is saying, well, I think that it's important to me to date somebody with a graduate degree and then go on a bunch of dates with people who do and don't have it. And then maybe ultimately you'll say, what I actually care about is curiosity and intellectual honesty, not a diploma on the wall from a graduate school. Or somebody might say, I really care that the person's tall. And then they go on a date with somebody who's short and they say, height doesn't matter to me as much. And so really having, it's okay to have a hypothesis of what you think matters, but what's really important is to to test it and see, is that true? And you might say, you know what, um, Have if I'm Jewish and I want to date someone Jewish, that really matters to me. That's fine. You're allowed to have deal breakers and things that matter to you, but at least be open to exploring relationships with different types of people and seeing if you're preconceived notions of what matter actually do. And so, yeah, I think that it's not that you want to be robotic about it, but if you notice that you tend to feel most comfortable with people who are maybe more introverted because that gives you more space or, you know, you have a big personality and you want to find someone who's different from you. Over time, you will start to say like, I'm drawn to this type of person and they make me feel good as opposed to just making a checklist and saying, these are the things that are important. So I think that process of exploration and, and even proving yourself wrong is what really leads people to break their so-called type and find someone who's really a good fit for them. Yes. I always call that the love catnip. It's like your kryptonite that you're drawn to, even though it doesn't actually Mm -hmm. feel good. And then like what you're talking about, date in a way that's really curious and more values based than like resume based so that you can stop your love catnip and and find someone who'd actually be be a better fit. And I know you talk about that a lot in the book, like no more checklists, focus on how you want to feel, focus on what the person's values are and yeah. yeah, absolutely. I, I love that, the catnip and the kryptonite. And I would say so much of the progress that I've seen people make, so much of the progress that I've made is when you identify, I have this bad habit, I have this bad habit, I have this bad pattern, this is my relationship kryptonite. And first step is being aware of it. And then the second step is actually taking steps to overcome it. And that's really how people break those bad habits because- I was doing an interview before this with this woman in the UK and she was like, well, do you just, do people just figure it out over time? And I was like, the sad truth is that I get emails from people in their 50s, 60s, 70s who are not in love and not finding love and they're making the same mistakes. And so it's not just keep dating and you'll figure it out. It's that you actually have to be thoughtful about it, identify, you know, I love that, the relationship kryptonite and then overcome it. And it really takes that intentional approach of um, what's holding me back and how can I make different decisions in the future? Yes. And if you're not, you know, reading a, reading a book like Logan's How to Not Die Alone or working with a coach or being mindful about it, then it's really hard to change, which you know more than I do because you're a behavioral scientist. But I just think about there's these myths in society, like related to health, related to dating. Like we get told 
you know, do X and get Y, but there's nuances for each person. And so it's so helpful to have insight and clarity and the assessment for the tendencies that you give so that we can mm-hmm. make, take different actions and then, and then create something different. Um, I'm wondering if you can share, we talked a bit about the the romanticizer, the hesitator, the maximizer, but I want to circle back because a lot of my listeners are, are romanticizers. Mm-hmm. I think probably because I'm more of one too. Yeah. You know, can you share a little bit more about how the romanticizers get tripped up or why the spark the spark is overrated? Sure. Yeah. I, I've definitely had a lot of romanticizer clients. And part of that is that um, the hesitators often just don't seek me out, right? If you're waiting to date, you're not necessarily going to invest in a dating coach. But, you know, romanticizers are, are – I have a lot of empathy for them because I sit across from them and I say, hey, like you're so focused on finding somebody who looks like X, Y, Z, and that might just not be what you get. And they often cry and they say, you're denying me my great love story. My parents have been married for 40 years. My friends from college all have these guys and you're telling me that I'm not good enough and that I don't deserve it. And they see it as this thing that they've been looking forward to for 30 years of their lives being taken away from them. And they feel like they're being denied this thing that they want. And it's it's really hard. And those are tear-filled moments with my romanticizer clients. But then comes the growth where I say, you're going to have a great love story. You're going to find somebody who makes you happy. It's just going to look and feel a little different from what you thought. And so it's not about being alone. It's not about settling. It's about focusing on what matters. And so for example... Let's say a client of mine was from the South and she was very focused on dating a guy who was super preppy and dating a guy who had a certain type of background and a certain job and drove a certain car. But she had dated a bunch of guys like that and they often just were not a good fit for her. She was extremely career driven. She was extremely ambitious. And a lot of those men that she was drawn to wanted a more traditional partnership. And so she was really caught in this tension between who she thought she wanted to be with and who she wanted to be. And these guys that she was drawn to just weren't bringing out the best in her. And she was very burned out and she was very frustrated. And the work with her was really helping her understand, okay, let's take a step back. Let's start from scratch. And let's say a bunch of the things you were focusing on don't matter. And what does matter? Okay, well, you're very ambitious and you want a guy who's going to support your career. You want a marriage and co-parenting, that's about partnership, um, taking different turns, picking up the kid from the dentist, making dinner, sharing financial resources. You want someone who's supportive. And so let's figure out what type of person is like that and who's maybe more open-minded about gender roles and things like that. And so understanding that actually they can build a life that feels great for them, it just might be different from this rom-com love story that they expected. And so With romanticizers, there's often this grieving period where they say, why are you telling me that I can't get what I want? And I say, let's rework what you want and then let's get you that. And so it's a lot of times this journey of of focusing on what matters. And I think it's sort of a maturation. It's saying, yes, when you were 14 listening to Taylor Swift, you wanted this this, uh, love song, this love story. And now, now, now you're a different person. And then you know, you, you did ask me the question about the spark and it's now become one of my favorite chapters in the book. But the idea is that people are so focused on the initial chemistry and they go on a date with someone and they say, he was great, good personality. He organized a good date. It was fun. Mm, Not going to see him again. I just didn't feel the spark. And it's so frustrating to me because they are 
especially for people who haven't had success with dating, they're turning away these really, really great potential partners and they are losing out on people who could be great long-term spouses or, or whatever because they didn't feel that instant chemistry. And so what I try to do is bust these myths of the spark and help people understand that chemistry can grow over time. Just because you feel the spark, it doesn't mean it's a good thing. And that plenty of divorced couples once felt the spark. And that the more important thing is to go after the slow burn. And that's the person who gets better over time, who is reliable, who's supportive, and maybe they're not the most charming person in the world, but they would, they're really the type of person that you want to align yourself with for the long term. Absolutely. And I'm thinking about charm and how that oftentimes will take us away from our best self or Mm -hmm. take us out of our bodies and out of our power. And some of my clients, I'm thinking of two clients in particular who went on five dates with the person they're now married to. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until the fifth date that they were like, Oh, I finally kind of wanted to kiss him. Mm -hmm. And we think like, Oh, I should want to make out with them on the first date. And I think it's more important, like you're saying to, to build chemistry over time and to build that connection. One of my clients says, um, harmony more than hormones. Like, can you feel in harmony? Yeah. Can you feel in harmony with yourself? It's, it's my, I don't want to say her name because of confidentiality, but she, um, it was her take on, on this, that, um, can you feel in harmony with yourself? Can you feel in harmony with your values and, and what you want? Or do you feel like you have to leave part of yourself in order to kind of be in this fantasy with this person. But for a lot of my clients who have now married people who were, you know, they were just like, okay, you know, like, or it was fine. I think it's like, we have to train and we are training our nervous systems to not be looking for that hyper state of arousal, which oftentimes is like fight or flight and maybe not the most sustainable thing. Um, I also just wanted to mention that I, I'm, I'm a bit of a like spiritual person, so Mm -hmm. take this for what it's worth. But in my experience, relationships that start on, I'll just call it like upper chakras, like intellectual and spiritual connection and like speaking each other's language and, um, you know, metaphorically and, and feeling, feeling at ease, like, oh, okay, I can set a boundary and they're not going to shame me for it. Or I can express an emotion that's uncomfortable and they're going to still be present and listening with me. Like that builds so much better relationship and then working down through the chakras. And then when you get to like the sexy time, then not that there's on a certain timeline in that, but it's on a more solid foundation that you've already learned how to express your truth and be in your heart and stay connected to your power instead of looking for the spark and then hoping everything can build is like so much harder to, to climb up the ladder versus starting somewhere that feels really good. And then kind of seeing if you can keep riding the waves together. Yeah. I I think about that all the time. I I haven't thought about the chakra analogy, but I really like that, which is one pushback that I'll get when I say that the spark is, you know, wonderful and lovely and a great experience, but it's, it's not required or it can grow is people say, no, you, you need that spark to enter the relationship. You need that initial spark to ignite something. And then I say, but the idea of the spark is that it's really intense and then it fizzles out. And so then what do you do when it fizzles out, right? Then it's almost like you have to start a new relationship and say like, who is this person? Am I still interested in them? The spark distracts you from the connection. Whereas a slow burn is still a fire. It's still something that um, ignites and and starts you off, but it's much more sustainable and it's going to last over time and it's going to grow. And so people who are so focused on the spark, they often get into these relationships that fizzle. And that's why it's time, as we said, to date like a scientist and to try something else, because what 
will happen to you when you stop prioritizing that and you say, I'm going to focus on different things and I'm going to understand that sometimes a spark will happen and sometimes it doesn't, but that at a certain point in time, um, it's more important to look for that long-term life partner than the person with whom you have the greatest chemistry, especially because that chemistry could be a dis- you know, anxiety in disguise. Absolutely. And I love the the fire that you're talking about because we know that we have to tend to fire. We have to put more wood on or we have to turn the poles. But like you said, a spark, you know, well, what happens two minutes later? Like it's, you know, it's gone. Um, and I think you mentioned, I don't know if it was one of the podcasts you were on mm-hmm. or in the book, you were talking about Esther Perel. Mm-hmm. And I love that she teaches people about desire and intimacy mm-hmm. and breaks, breaks the myth that like, well, you should just have intimacy that's wonderful from day one forever. Like it's just like any other part of relationship. You have to put some, some work into it, but what are ways, I know your focus is mainly obviously on dating and finding a partner, but what are some of the ways that you recommend for people to keep a relationship going strong and keep the connection building? Yeah. I love um, all the stuff that Esther Perel says around desire and really the the largest tension in relationships, which is that we want to be close to somebody and we want to have security and comfort, but then we also want to have adventure and mystery. And so a lot of times couples are navigating those two extremes and sometimes, right, it is hard to maintain desire when you have a super close connection, but you don't actually have the space to kind of build that, that sexual, that sexual desire and, and, um, kind of, what what did she say? She says, desire is like fire. It needs air. Mm-hmm. And sometimes relationships, and it's not always people's fault, right? If you're, if you're raising little kids or there's a lot of stressful stuff at home, you might just be on top of each other and it's hard to have that space to create the desire. A lot of my thinking on long-term relationship success is uh, influenced by the Gottmans, John and Julie Gottman, and really the idea that people think, oh, I want to have... Um, a big, you know, I, I want to do this big romantic gesture. Once a year, we're going to go to Hawaii and we're going to relight our fire together. But the, the truth is that successful long-term relationships are about con- consistently investing in each other and what they call bids, right? So reaching out to somebody to connect. And if you are on your laptop and your husband comes home from work and you're in the middle of an email, who cares? Turn your computer down and say, hey, how was your day? Or how was running the errand? Or what's going on for you? And really using all of these moments to connect with the person. Because if you just have that once a year romantic gesture, or, you know, you go on a date night once a month, it's just, it's not enough to maintain it. And what really keeps couples and relationships alive is the constant attention, the constant investment, um, taking those opportunities to connect. And so that's definitely something that I practice in my own life, where even if I'm in the middle of something, I really push myself to say, oh, my husband's reading an email and he laughed. I should ask what that's about. Or I can tell he's grumpy when he's unloading the dishwasher. Maybe I should offer to do it for him. It's just really paying attention for your partner's bids to connect, turning towards those bids, and also making your own bids to connect. Mm, I love that. It sounds like loving like a scientist too, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Being an observer, yeah. Being an observer and noticing totally. and, and offering and... I know for myself, sometimes I can get addicted to being productive. So Mm -hmm. it's like, uh, like my partner is gonna, you know, I can, I can spend more time with him in a minute, but I got to get this thing done. And I think our society needs to value pleasure more than productivity and the pleasure of having deeper connection, especially because 
we change jobs fairly frequently, especially the younger generations. And we can change partners. There's nothing wrong with that, but that can create a lot of instability. And I think it's great if we can choose partners and date intentionally and love intentionally so that we can create uh, more of those uh, foundational relationships that then can support us while we go do a, a bunch of other things. And I think the Gottmans have, I can't remember the name of their podcast, Small Things Often or something. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like yeah. little three minute things and totally. you can binge, binge them. And yeah, they have so many, um, so many great things. So thank you for mentioning that. Of I just course. Have one other question. I'm wondering, you talk about attachment style in the book. Do you find any correlation between attachment style and the three tendencies? Yeah, it's an interesting point because when you're asking like which of the tendencies I relate to the most, it's definitely a maximizer. But then I feel like the strongest thing that was really holding me back was being anxiously attached. And so in the book, I provide different frameworks, right? The three dating tendencies, anxious attachment, or sorry, all the attachment styles. And then also in the breakup chapter, chapter, I talk about hitchers and ditchers. And so I love frameworks. I think applying names to things really helps people say, oh, I identify with that and I'm not alone. And so that's really critical. But um, I would say, you know, for anyone listening who's not familiar with attachment theory, it's one of the most rigorously backed regions of relationship science. It's something that has really changed my life, changed how I date. It changed a lot of the ways that my friends and my dating coaching clients have dated. And so you could be a maximizer who's avoidant attached. And what that means is that you um, use the fact that you want to push people away, you focus on certain flaws of theirs. And so you might say, I don't like the way she pronounces this word, or I don't think his job is good enough. And so you're sort of maximizing as a defense mechanism to push someone away. And so I've seen lots of different combinations of my three dating tendencies and attachment styles. But I think really the underlying message here is understand yourself understand what's holding you back, understand what your bad patterns are and really make a commitment to yourself, get some accountability from your friends and really work to overcome them because that's when you'll see the real change is when you start making different choices. Absolutely. Well, that kind of sums everything up. (laughs) Make different choices and get support. So is there anything else that you'd like to share? You know, how can people find your book and find your work? Sure. Yeah. Thank you again for the opportunity. So people can definitely check out the book, How to Not Die Alone. And if people like the sound of my voice, they can get the audible version, which I read. If they didn't, they can get the Kindle or the hardcover. And um, people can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Logan Yuri. People can take the three dating tendencies quiz on my website, loganyuri.com. And I'd encourage people to sign up for my newsletter. I send out a weekly newsletter on Thursday with insights from my book, tips on getting back out there, kind of the latest and greatest in dating and relationships research. Amazing. Well, I highly encourage everyone to go check that out and to get educated and then start making different choices so you can have a more fulfilling relationship, which always impacts our health and other pieces of our life. So thank you, Logan, for being on the show. And one last thing, um, what's something that's bringing you pleasure lately? I always ask every guest. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I've been watching Gilmore Girls for the first time. And, you know, this is a an anxiety provoking moment in the world. You know, we're seeing the end of the pandemic, but it's been a tough year. And I think just something about watching a show about family dynamics, small towns, community, but, you know, the stakes are not too high. 
I've really enjoyed kind of going deep in the Stars Hollow Gilmore Girls universe. And so I'd have to say that show has been a really pleasant and pleasurable distraction for me. Mm, yes, that sounds so sweet and, and so nice. Thank you for sharing that. Yay, thank you. All right, thank you. Thanks for tuning in and turning on for Healthy Love. Because better relationships mean more power, more creativity, and a better planet. I'm here to end the suffering of abuse and loneliness, and it starts with you. Please subscribe to my show and leave a review. 